imagine a world in which Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill and Tommy Edmond and Nolan Gorman are all as hot as they can be. That's that's pretty special. And she's like, the writing is on the wall for them to be an elite team in the game of baseball. And what they've done thus far in terms of where they are in the division and staying right there neck and neck with the Brewers, to me, has been really impressive and showcases a lot of the depth that the Cardinals have. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball. Brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week by Ben Verlander, who you definitely know from social media, whether it's Twitter or Twitch or his podcast, Flippin' Bats. He's a FoxSports.com baseball analyst and host of Fox Sports' award-winning podcast, Flippin' Bats. And it's not just like award-winning now, Ben. It's like up for more awards, right? You got nominated for two hashtag awards. So the awards will keep coming in. So I guess I have to say awards winning. Is that how how I I have to do that? You certainly don't have to, but thank you so much, man. I I am. I'm excited to be on. This was a, I really appreciate you coming on. It was a great chance to go on your show and talk with you and get to know you better. Also been fun to prepare for this podcast, just to read about your career and i wonder what maybe was the inspiration to move from you know playing and i know you're on twitch playing video games into more of a media role how did that kind of grow for you and how did you find it kind of fit what you were trying to do to stay in baseball yeah you know i so i played until up until a few years ago and i ended up getting released by the tigers and continued to want to play but the right thing never really came along for me, um, you know, but I, I was at the time 27, I believe, and knew that it wasn't the right move to go to low A. I was holding out for the right job to come along. Uh, some jobs came along that just I knew weren't the right fit. So I just held out until that right thing came along and it never did. And, and I was at peace with that and I was OK with that. But I never fell out of love with the game of baseball, which is easy to do um, for for guys that that make it to that level. And, you know, it's interesting to say that, but it, it can be interesting because professional baseball, especially the minor leagues, is a grind unlike you can explain to anybody. It is um, it is a grind. So um, I finished up and still loved the game and knew I wanted to be involved somehow um, and, and wanted to be. I didn't exactly know how I wanted to be involved, but I got a, uh, I had an agent through a, through a mutual friend and um, we just kind of kept staying in touch about certain things. And then COVID hit and the world was shut down and really nothing was happening. And I was just kind of in limbo back in Virginia where I'm from. And then, uh, yeah, well I did, I got on Twitch during all of that, which ended up being a, a saving grace and, I, I have a, an amazing Twitch community now, and that's really cool. And they support me in everything I do. And I uh, ended up getting my first opportunity at Fox, which is a World Series watch party that I that I hosted. They, yeah. Uh, so, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't full time with Fox yet. They just gave me an opportunity to host that, and it was with Tino Martinez, Nick Swisher, and Rick Ankeel, <laughs> actually. Yeah. So some that names was... familiar to Cardinal fans there. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, I did that and my Twitch community actually like came and, and supported me in every single way they could there and watched. And uh, I guess it went really well. And not too much longer after that, I had a full-time job with Fox and uh, really cool, really interesting and unique journey though, for sure. One of the things you do is flipping bats with Ben Verlander, which is available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Uh, there's the podcast, obviously, you know, I wonder, you spent a lot of time in the Florida state league playing with the Lakeland Tigers. Mm-hmm. you find yourself jaded at all by that? Like you said, it can be a hard grind. I mean, you're sharing what, how many people are you stacking in an apartment and, you know, Oh like, man, it's, it can be a lot, you know, um, the hotel rooms, you're staying, especially the lower levels. Um, once you get to Lakeland, it gets a little better because you're playing in all the big league ballparks, the big league right. spring training ballparks. Um, and the hotels are a little bit nicer when you're on the road, but at the lower levels, we're staying at like Ramada inns and motel eights or sixes or whatever it is and two to a room. And then when you're back home, 
you're still living with three, four guys in a, in a place that's just not very nice. So um, it, it, it's a grind and um, I, I would never change it for the world exactly how it went down. Uh, now, obviously, I wish and, and the dream was always to become a major leaguer. And I was one phone call away from that. But mm -hmm. and, and that didn't happen. So I wish it had. But I, I would change nothing about my journey, despite it being, um, you know, very difficult. It, it's a grind. And uh, I think the struggles, um, the, the ups and the downs and man, were there ups and downs in my career? If I could have figured out how to be consistent, I would have been OK. But I think all of that helped propel me to where I am right now. And, and I love where I am right now. One of the uh, one of the assignments that I had early on in my career that I still cherish and learned so much from was spending about a week and a half on a bus with a team in the Pioneer League. <laughs> and you're right about the hotel. I mean, I stayed in the same hotels as the team. I rode on the bus with the team um, and I called one of the hotels after we left just to kind of get their rundown on what the hotel rooms were left like. Uh -huh. um, just thought that would be a phone call to make. And they told me about how they were missing a bunch of pillows. And they, I, th I thought that was fantastic because of course, yeah. you know, all these young players, they're all fresh out of the draft. Um, many of them from Latin American countries, if they, you know, if they weren't from the draft, they, they're out there in, you know, Provo and Idaho Falls and Wyoming. And who thought to bring a pillow on the bus? But that first hotel, they were going to snag some pillows for those long bus rides. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it sounds funny to people hearing you say that, like, oh, they left and took a bunch of pillows. But uh, the sad reality of it is uh, minor, leaguers, minor leaguers don't make a lot of money. And sometimes the living situations aren't great. Sometimes you're sleeping on buses and <laughs> you need those pillows. You know, there's <laughs> there's many times. I can, you know, I can picture it right now. I've seen it every bus ride. There's guys that will just take their pillow, lay down in the middle of the bus aisle and try and fall asleep that way. Do you think that all that gave you a different appreciation for baseball? I, I'm wondering if different is the right word. Maybe deeper appreciation for the game because you saw what I've, guys poured into it to make to be successful. Absolutely. Um, th there's no doubt about it. And, and when I hear of guys making their debut um it's always you know it's always a really cool feeling and even um even when i was still playing you know we'd have a teammate get called up and i, I will never forget these moments like no matter who it is no matter if they were a great friend of yours um if they were a teammate and they got called up their big league debut we would all huddle around a little table watch on a tv or an ipad or a laptop or whatever we had and just go crazy when they got their first at bat or stepped on the mound. Awesome. And um, it's because it's um, it, it is I know I keep saying this word, but it's a grind and it's um, you're doing it with with people from all over the world that legitimately become like a second family for you. You spend mm -hmm. way more time with these people than you, you do anybody else in the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I gain a, a lot of appreciation for it simply because of I, I know the process they went through and the process is always different from, you know, the, you know, the Adley Rutschmans who are the top prospects and, yeah. you know, the lower prospects that happen to get a shot. It's always a little different, but it, the grind is always for real. If I if I have the timing right, you were a freshman in Old Dominion in 2011, right? When your brother Justin was winning the Cy Young and the MVP. Do I have that right? Yeah. I graduated high school in 2010 and was at ODU in 11. All right. And you're playing ball there. So your, your exposure, your familiarity with baseball goes back to him being in the majors, you playing in college, and then, of course, your own career. Big question that I hope, I mean, is all right to ask is how have you seen the game change in that time? What are some significant changes you've seen? Oh, I mean, it's been a vast difference, in my opinion. I mean, when my brother made his debut, he made his debut in 2005, but he was a rookie in 2006. Um, and it was just, um, the, the game was so different. You know, I, I can look back on, film or videos from back at that time and it's just the the game it, it doesn't look the same anymore everything is so buttoned up you have the strike zone there on the screen uh you have you know it's all 
replay changes the game. And, you know, I'm not saying it's um, I'm definitely not saying it's for the worse or for the better. It's just very much so different. And Mm -hmm. I think different is okay. I think one thing that baseball really struggles with is changing and keeping up with the times. And any anytime any baseball fan hears the word change or hears about a new rule, they automatically think, oh, no, this is awful. But the truth of the matter is baseball needs that. It needs to keep up with the times. And if you just go back and look at some of the um, some of the videos or some of the film back in when when Justin was debuting, um, the game is vastly different. You know, you never saw never saw people shifting. You never saw replays. You know, strikes were getting called because pitchers, you know, I don't want to say back in the day, but pitchers earned that pitch <laughs> off the plate, you know, like right. the Greg Maddox, where he'd end up getting six inches off the plate. Um, and, and that was the same when, when Justin would debut. You had to earn that pitch a few inches off the plate. When I was playing, if that was happening and the umpire told me, hey, he's earned that pitch, I would have been furious because there's there's a plate there that tells you what's a ball and what's a strike. But I won't go down that path. I'll get fired <laughs> up quickly. But, yeah, it, it's, it's funny how over the course of um, – almost two decades, a decade and a half, how much the game of baseball has changed. And I think that's a good thing. And I think soon we're going to be seeing even more change. Well, that's one of the things that it really stands out for me, just like watching you or listening to your podcast or seeing you on Twitter is the enthusiasm you have for change, the enthusiasm you have for newness, but really the enthusiasm you have for the game. I mean, look, the podcast you host is called flipping bats. It's, it's not exactly like, you know, flipping bats is, what 20 years ago is something that was discouraged or you were likely to get a fastball in the rib at some point in time. And now <laughs> it's part of, you know, it's part of the joy of the game. And, you know, what, what part do you think you play as someone on social media, a host of sharing that joy, maybe even selling that joy? Yeah. Well, I, I think a big part of it is bringing on superstars like Derek Gould onto the podcast, right, right. which yeah, I yeah. had a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. um, and thank you again for that. But of you're course. right. Um, I, like I told, like I said originally, I, I never fell out of love with the game of baseball. And there has always been a deep like love for the game of baseball. And, and I didn't get into this world to I, I don't view myself as, you know, like, and, and I know I am, so this is funny to say, but I don't view myself as like a media member. I just mm. view myself as a former player that is trying to grow the game and and talk to players that way and and you know have a little a little more of an inside look on what could be going on and talk to players in that way and showcase just how good and positive the game of baseball is. There's there's far too much negativity one in the world to just continue to talk about, well, you know, the the old get off my lawn approach with baseball, like, Oh, too many reviews too, you know, stop flipping your bat, just put your head down and run around the bases. I mean, I, I, I get that standpoint from people. It's just not me. The game doesn't need it. You look at other sports that are rapidly growing. That's not Mm -hmm. the case. You know, touchdown celebrations are allowed. If you dunk, you're allowed, you know, they storm back up the court doing whatever they want to do. Baseball needs that. It needs guys that are fun and exciting and flipping their bats and stomping around the mound when they strike somebody out. And I think the Fernando Tatises and the Ronald Acuñas and, you know, those guys are exactly what the sport needs. And I I just want to showcase that to the best of my ability. I want to show people um, just how great and fun the game can be and just bring it from a little bit of a different perspective and you know not the most polished um journalist in the world but just somebody that played the game that has an inside look that still loves the game and wants to grow it and and that's that's kind of the angle that I come at it from this past weekend at Wrigley Field had a chance to talk with some folks and we kind of touched on this a little bit with uh, Adam Wainwright joining the broadcast booth mm-hmm. And somewhat how refreshing he was. No, not somewhat. A lot of how refreshing he was because when the game would bog down. Now, he was doing playoff games, so a lot was at stake. It's a lot different than, say, an August game um, featuring a team that's, you know, 17 out. But, (laughs) you know, he was in the playoff. And and if the game bogged down or if even there was a moment that invited him to go, here, here's where the game has gone awry or, you know, we're seeing so many pitches. Just, you know, how the pace kind of gets off in a game. And it was at that point in time that he was like, let's go get a hot dog. 
And it was like, I, I'm oversimplifying, but he did go get a hot dog. And it was, <laughs> he brought such such fondness for the game, but also like understood like, okay, look, the game at this moment is not in, in, you know, it's not enthralling. It's not gripping the viewer, but there's still part of baseball that can be fun. And it was so interesting to hear somebody just talk about their zeal for the game, to be honest, and all that was around it. And I think that does do a lot to sell the game to the next generation. You know, if we go on and try to soften or even like remove some of these celebrations, you take away the personality of the game and there are great personalities in the game now, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's not action happening every single, you know, second of the game and there, there's not in any sport and that's okay. You know, we don't need, um, and it's, it's cool what Adam did. We don't need guys in, in the booth that are like, you know, just dragging, like pretending that there's something great going on or, or dragging it out or anything like that, because, the truth of the matter is in, in every sport, maybe there's going to be a game that's not the most exciting game in the world. But what can be cool is if you just acknowledge that and end up telling some stories or, you know, going to get a hot dog, just something that throws people off that keeps them involved. Like I'm sure people heard Adam Wainwright say, I'm going to go get a hot dog. And they just waited around like, what, what what's happening? I need to hear this. And yeah, yeah. You know, that's a, that is a silly example, but it's true. And you don't need to pretend that the game is exciting 24 seven, but if you love the base, the game of baseball, you understand the game within the game. And there's something really special about that as well. And the game certainly needs um, stuff like that to happen. Um, and, and these young players, are doing their part in in making the game more exciting when it's happening on the field. And hopefully um, it's my goal to make the game more exciting on my side of things. And uh, I, I think as long as more and more people keep doing that on the field and off the field, the game of baseball is going to continue to rise and be in a really good spot. Hey, I wonder like during your career in, in the minors there, how much was storytelling part of it? Like how much would you guys pass the time? by telling baseball stories or how often did you hear from a coach, some legend of your um, from deep within the, the tigers uh, you know, history there. How often were stories a way to pass the time? Oh, story. If, the, if there was no such thing as storytelling, I don't know if I would have made it through my career. I mean, you know, there's one of one year I played 142 games in 150 days and wow. it can get, it can get monotonous. It can get tough. It can get grueling. And the second you start going through an 0 for 8, 0 for 12, 0 for 16 stretch, you can really get bogged down mentally. So uh, in the Tigers organization, I was extremely fortunate to have, um, you know, Alan Trammell around, Al Kaline, Kurt Gibson. Um, the, the names just kept going in the Tigers organization. And the stories that I would hear from guys um, my outfield coordinator actually played for the Cardinals for years, uh, Gino, Gene Roof. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the stories he would tell, are, I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. And the majority of them, as you can imagine, aren't, aren't repeatable on, <laughs> on any sort of platform. But uh, yeah, it, it was really cool. And I know a lot of organizations do that. And, and it's really important to me. You know, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about the game. From Alan Trammell, I learned a lot about who I wanted to be as a person from Al Kaline and became pretty close with him throughout my career and would sit down and get lunch with him often and just hear stories about him playing so long ago. And um, that those are memories and stories that I will have and cherish for the rest of my life, for sure. How important do you think it is for you to pass some of those along? This is a topic that has come up around the Cardinals um, because some of the best storytellers have moved on. Um, I'm thinking of some of the field coordinators and some of the old coaches, some of the guys who worked firsthand with one of the Cardinal great coaches, George Kissel, um, and just some of the humor that they could bring. Um, you know, they were kind of part motivational speaker, part stand-up comedian, to be honest. <laughs> and there's a concern that, like, when they leave, do they take their stories with them? Um, you know, how much do you kind of – like like the role of maybe making sure some of those stories carry on. Yeah, I think it's important. And it's the same in the Tigers organization. You know, Gene Roof, who um, yeah. was the outfield coordinator, is, is no longer with the Tigers. He's retired and 
he played with, you know, he played all over the place and played for some great managers and he had some hysterical stories and he he's gone. So, you know, I try and remember story, you know, it's like, I, I try and remember those stories. So I never forget them. And some of the stories that are um, closest to me are, are from Al Kaline, who is obviously no longer with us. And um, I, I hold those memories near and dear to my heart. And it is, it is important. And I think it's important for the game of baseball. You know, everybody, um, everybody that loves the game of baseball would love to sit down for hours and pick their brain and hear their stories about playing for Sparky Anderson and Kurt Gibson hitting off of whoever it may be. And, you know, I could do that for, I could sit down in a room with those guys for, you know, 48 hours straight and never leave. And I would be perfectly okay with that. And the more and more they get out of the game of baseball, I think it's important to continue their stories and to just, you know, even if it's just in passing, like, oh yeah, you know, Kurt Gibson was sitting right here a couple of years ago and said X, Y, and Z. And it's like, those things are important for the game of baseball. And, and I think anybody would love to hear them. So a real quick aside, before I ask the kind of the next question that launched us onto, what was it like walking into the manager's office and having Ty Cobb stare at you almost every day? Isn't that, that, (laughs) is that picture still up at Lakeland? It is. Yes, yeah. it is a very intimidating photo. He's just Ty Cobb is just intimidating in his own right. Just the the stories you hear about how intense and how hard he played the game. We'll call it playing hard. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you walk in and there's that picture of him just staring into your soul, and you're like, "All right, here <laughs> here we are." Yeah, it kind of gives that big league feel a little bit. But I, I always thought that was interesting that the manager would call for me like. You know, you get promoted. I would imagine guys get promoted. They go into that office and there's Ty Cobb just staring <laughs> at it. You know, it can be so. Um, I have a I have a pet theory. I'll run it by you that it's never been harder to hit. Pitchers have never thrown this well, and that means that players have never been as good at baseball as they are now. That this is probably among the best times as far as like just the best baseball players because they have to be to survive all the data that is known about them, all the different ways pitchers can attack them, uh, shifts, everything that it's, it's demanding the best type of player in the game right now. And yet this comes at a time when maybe we're not doing the best job of advertising that. Yeah. I, I think one, I think baseball and the people around baseball are starting to do a better job of advertising the game of baseball and what's going on. Uh, But you are 100% right with, with how you talk about it. I mean, the talent that we see right now, the fact that anybody, anybody is hitting 300, much less Paul Goldschmidt hitting 400 in a month is insane to me i mean the reason i am sitting here right now is because 92 mile an hour sliders got the best of me and imagine telling how Kaline or babe ruth that this pitcher is going to be throwing 100 102 miles an hour with a 92 mile an hour slider i'd be like what and so that just like but now baseball players are they know that and even when i was in the minors every team every team had a starter throwing upper 90s and multiple relievers throwing 100. I will never forget. And this is actually a story I tell often. Um, but I walked in the locker room one day where we have the, um, the lineup card and the scouting report for the next for that pitcher posted right there when you walk in. So I walked in one day, saw I was in the lineup, looked at the pitching, and we were playing Palm Beach. We were playing the Cardinals. And mm. it said starting pitcher, Alex Reyes. And then I start looking at like – the the numbers next to him and obviously he throws hard and uh the fastball velocity is like sits sits 98 to 101 and somebody um somebody in pencil like i think it was a a big leaguer that was rehabbing and i can't tell the full line because there is a bad word in here but somebody in pencil like wrote next to his fastball velocity get effed and (laughs) and just (laughs) left and i'm like you know i look back and i'm like that's so funny like there's just a starter sitting a hundred um and and that's the it becomes second nature like you just know you're gonna see guys like that so guys are able to prepare for it 
And now you get to the big leagues and see these guys doing what they're doing. And it's because they're not thrown off by anything. But the pitchers are so much better than they have ever been. So the hitters have to be. And it's either figure it out or get out of the game. And we're seeing guys there that have figured it out. And we're seeing guys like me that had to get out of the game. What are some things from this season that have stood out to you? What are I mean, obviously the Yankees are playing great. Uh, the Angels were going really well. And now, as we record this, have lost 13 consecutive, finding new and awful ways to lose each night. Uh, they fired their manager. Phillies had big expectations. They fired their manager. Uh, what are some of the things that have stood out to you this this season so far? Certainly, um, certainly, as you mentioned, you know, I, I don't think anybody expected the Yankees to be as good as they are. And it's because their pitching staff has been the biggest surprise of the year to me. Um, mm. So that that has been interesting. The other team in New York, um, the Mets, what they have done. And I really liked that team uh, and what they have done without Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer for, well, Max, not all year. But deGrom hasn't thrown a pitch all year and, and Max hasn't pitched in, in about a month. And what they have been able to do, sporting, you know, the best record in, in the National League, at least up until last night when they lost. So I'm not sure. Well, the, the Dodgers lost as well. So still the best record in the National League. Um, without the two two of the best pitchers in all of baseball. It has been remarkable what they have been able to do. Uh, that's certainly a storyline. And and on the um, on the not-so-great side, I've been pretty disappointed in, in the Mariners. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought they had a really good team, and, and I still do believe that. And I thought they put together a perfect mixture of um, guys that were good last year, brought in some guys that were really good last year, Jesse Winker, and then having rookies come up and Julio Rodriguez and B, he's playing great now. So the fact that they are sitting down at the bottom of the AL West has been disappointing for me. But a lot of a lot of stuff around the league has been wild this year. And I mean, the Pirates being or not the Pirates, the Padres being as good as they are without Fernando Tatis has been incredible. So baseball has been exciting this year. That's for sure. We have a local sportscaster, Mike Claiborne, who's on the Cardinals call. <clears throat> And he doesn't believe that you look at the standings until, what is it, Flag Day. He says that's the first day he'll look at the standings. What is um, Flag Day? What day is that? It's June 14th. So <laughs> We're it, getting it, close. It, we're getting close, but already had two managers fired. Um, it's the first time since 2018 when the Cardinals fired Mike Matheny that a manager was fired before the All-Star break, and there's two of them. You know, do you think this is reflective of the expanded playoffs at all? I mean, is that possible that that as the standings kind of sort, they're being sorted a little bit earlier because there are more more spots in the playoffs, but maybe teams are are just, I guess announcing themselves as playoff teams earlier? Is that possible? It is possible, and you know, as much as it's as much as it's said or it's a saying, don't look at the standings; they don't matter, and and whatever it may be, every game, all 162 matter. And especially this year with the added wild card spot, it's like you can't afford to fall too far behind these teams because, look, yes, the season is still young. And right now we're, what, a little bit past the one-third of the season mark. But yeah. it all matters. You know, you're, you're looking at teams like, like the Mariners who are expected to be good, who are, you know, double digit games back. And the, the Atlanta Braves who are going to be good again are now playing better, but they found themselves in a big hole. And it's like, if you want to be, if you either want to win the division or be one of the three teams now that gets a wild card spot, you can't afford to fall too far back. So I don't know if the answer is looking at the standings, but you certainly, you certainly know it and understand it. And, uh, that's never been more reflected than what we've seen over the course of the past two weeks. I mean, you had those two managers that are mm-hmm. fired before the All-Star break, which is, what was what did you say is the first time since Matheny? 2018, yeah, since 2018. Gee, and, and we've seen two of them. So I, I do think that this has urged a little more of a sense of urgency this year because it's, okay, three teams make it. That means if, if we don't make it, because at this point now, half the league uh you know almost half the league is making the playoffs if we fall too far behind and don't make the playoffs that's embarrassing it's a bad look and a team like 
the Braves, a team that's as talented as the Angels, they should be getting in. So when you go on a skid and you're at the top of the division and they were at the top of the division as in the Angels and then they go on a 13 game losing streak and now they're almost double digit games out of first place, it's obviously something you're looking at. It's something that clearly made the Angels push the panic button and get rid of their manager. So, uh, yeah, maybe we should just push up one week, maybe two weeks <laughs> from Flag Day. Maybe we should just say June 1st because the second the calendar turned to June, some of those teams started hitting the panic button. Yeah, no doubt. Do you, do you think teams are looking, to for different things from managers? I mean, it should be noted that the two guys are fired, Madden in, in Anaheim, but I should say Los Angeles, uh, and Joe Girardi in Philadelphia. You know, they they veteran managers, um, not exactly old school managers. You can't call Madden that because he's kind of the face of modern baseball in a lot of ways for what he did with Tampa Bay. But do you think what's being expected of managers is change? I, I say that knowing that I cover the only manager in his 30s in the majors. I think we've started to see a little bit of it's been interesting with managers over the last few years. Uh, I think we saw a shift where teams wanted to go young and new and analytically driven and, you know, a, a player's coach. And I think a great example of that is when the Detroit Tigers were one of the best teams in baseball and Jim Leland goes and they bring in Brad Ausmus, who had mm -hmm. no managerial experience. He was a young guy that would get along well with the locker room. And that was the goal there. And just to be blunt, it didn't go very well. Um, and you saw that around the league for a little while. And I think, and I know I'm talking to a Cardinals guy, and they're they're still doing this. They have a younger guy, and it appears to be going well. They're playing good baseball, and he's analytically driven. Um, but I, I think we're starting to see less of that now. You know, I look around, and it's like, okay, the – the White Sox have a really young, exciting, and very talented team. Let's see who they hire for their new opening. Oh, it's Tony LaRussa. Okay, the Mets are really good. And who are they going to hire? Buck Showalter. And the Padres are really, really good and very talented and young and exciting. Who are they going to hire? Bob Melvin. And it's like, I think these teams, and, and the, the Phillies obviously just fired one of these guys, but they tried it as well with Gabe Kapler. It didn't go great. They hired Joe Girardi. It's like yeah. teams went through this phase of thinking, okay, analytics only and player coach only. And it's like there is a place in the game for analytics. Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and tell you there's not. But there is also a place for that, that authoritarian guy in the locker room that has the respect and and had it and has been around the game for a while and we're seeing that start to pay off with teams you know the Padres are a great example they had Tingler a younger guy and the, you know get along well with the, yeah for the, exactly for the crowd a Mizzou guy yeah oh wow exactly and and then they don't do well with a team that honestly had no business not making the playoffs last year. So he's yeah. gone. You bring in Bob Melvin to virtually the same team without their superstar shortstop, and look what they've been doing this year. So I, I do think teams are starting to take a shift in the managerial side of things, and it's been interesting to watch over the course of the last five to ten years how it went from one thing to another, and then you know back to back to one thing. Yeah, the the baseball runs in cycles. But you're right. I mean, the the run on hiring former players, whether they had managerial experience or not, you can kind of say began a little bit with Matheny here in St. Louis. But the one who's had the most staying power and most successful is Craig Council up in Milwaukee, who's just yep. been a superb manager there. As Milwaukee has become the class of the division, I saw. Uh, two games over the weekend at Wrigley, and then the Cardinals played another extra inning. So three consecutive extra inning games for the Cardinals here as we record this. And all three were so compelling, and not just because we got to see what Oliver Marmol was like when he argued with an umpire, but, you know, he had late game finishes. Um, he had fascinating pitching decisions, including a four-inning appearance by Yenesis Cabrera. Um, you know, just this really compelling, captivating baseball. And it was – it was entertaining, and it, part of why it was entertaining is because it just it had suspense at the end. Um, I'm struggling with how much of that is related to the runner starting at second, 
Um, but I do think that it speaks to like, look, teams today are capable, even if it's the Cubs who are rebuilding and the Cardinals who are expected to contend, they can play such compelling baseball games this year. I mean, how, how many of you, how many times have you watched the game and gone, this just, this is just a good game. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of that this year with, you know, I, I look around the league and teams like the, the diamondbacks and the pirates are going into LA against the Dodgers. And yeah. I think there's, there's no better example to what you're speaking about than a team like those two, going, the Dodgers have put together the best team on paper that we may have ever seen. And I don't think yeah, that's a stretch to say. It's no, wild. No. And you have teams like the Diamondbacks and the Pirates who haven't competed in years and have been the bottom of baseball for the last few years. And they're winning series there. And the Pirates are sweeping the, the Dodgers in L.A. And it's like there's so much... Um, disparity right now that any team can go in and beat anybody and I think that's what makes this really cool and and you mentioned a great one there with with the Cubs and it's like yes obviously they're going through something and in the midst of building what they want there but they're capable of playing good teams and 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 beating them and and making it a compelling matchup and I think that's important for the game of baseball because you need that. You need that night in and night out. And I think it's cool. And I, I just, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember watching games early in the season and I was like, oh my God, the, the Dodgers play the Diamondbacks like nine times in the first month. And then they like went five and four against them. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. all right, cool. This is good baseball to watch too. So yeah, it, it's yeah. good for the game for sure. I'd be remiss not to ask you your thoughts on the 2022 Cardinals. What has stood out? You mentioned Goldschmidt hitting 400 for the month of May. Uh, Nolan Arenado had one of the greatest defensive plays you'll ever see against the Tampa Bay Rays with a Jeter jump throw to third, as uh, his his teammate Dakota Hudson called it. Just a phenomenal play. What what are, what are some of the things that stand out to you about the 2022 Cardinals? Well, first off, however impressive people think that play from Arenado is, triple it. I mean, it was remarkable to watch that and and just what he was able to do with his body in the air was incredible but you know I think the Cardinals have been um I think they've been good this year and I think they've had the benefit of almost getting carried by different players throughout the way you know the the season starts and you're they, they're being carried by Nolan Arenado and, and being one of the best players in, on the planet at that time, if not the best. And, and him and Manny Machado were like on another right. level. And then he cools off a little bit. And then Paul Goldschmidt steps up and has one of the best months you'll ever see. And all throughout, Tommy Edmond has just continued to be this under the radar, really good switch hitter that can play anywhere that's not talked about enough. Uh, don't get me started. I, I get frustrated with the lack of, you know, people always like to focus on the same guys. And Tommy Edmonds, a guy that deserves a lot of respect for what he's done for this Cardinals team. But um, I, I think they've had the benefit of, you know, not not everybody has been clicking at the same time and they're still where they are. And I think that's cause for a lot of excitement from Cardinals fans. I mean, imagine a world in which Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill. Tommy Edmond and Nolan Gorman are all as hot as they can be. Um, that's that's pretty special. Uh, and then add on top of that, you hear some exciting news that Jack Flaherty is, is pitching and, and pitched well in a rehab start. And it's just like the writing is on the wall for them to be an elite team in the game of baseball. And what they've done thus far in terms of where they are in the division and staying right there neck and neck with the Brewers and winning baseball games still, um, to me, has been really impressive and showcases a lot of the depth that the Cardinals have. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be remiss if towards the end of this, I didn't mention what Nolan Gorman has done coming up. I mean, um, he deserves tons of praise. He comes up, he he had all the, all the hype in the world around him. You know, everybody knows his name. He 
Um, he's a top prospect. He was, in, you know, we mentioned MLB the show earlier on Twitch. He was, he was like, they, they featured him as a future star in the game of baseball. A oh, year, really? Interesting. Yeah. Like a year, last year's game. So he gets a, a lot of hype around him and then to come up and do what he has done is, is remarkable. And it's been a lot of fun to see. So I think the writing's on the wall for this Cardinals team to take off and, and show themselves as an elite team in the game of baseball, not just a good team. And not mentioned in there is the storybook aspect of Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina it's in true. their last circuit of the, of the national league and major league baseball. I mean, that's all added kind of to the, the, plot i guess of this season it's added this celebratory nature to it because every place they go for the last time they say is going to be the last time in their career you know albert being back in the in the uh you know in the cardinals uniform to to if he chases 700 you know we'll find out but you know just just finish where he started let me ask you this derek if if albert ends the year and let's and i don't even want to put this bad juju out there but let's say he ends the year at 698 what what does he do is he just retiring that's what he says i mean he won't talk about a specific number but he (laughs) said that his his great line it's a really good line he goes i'm not out there chasing ghosts and what he means by that is you know he's not out there to become whatever the this this number to be 700 you know i think he he would like to move up ahead of a rod if possible um Mm -hmm. You know, A-Rod is a part of his, you know, they overlapped. They're part of that generation. And he could leave, you know, with, and I understand that he and Bonds overlapped. In fact, you know, there were times where Albert finished second to him in the MVP. But if he can be like the guy who has the most home runs of his generation, that probably matters to him more than like a neat, nice round number. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, I, I, uh, I was a young man in, well, I was a young kid, I should say, when the Rockies had Dale Murphy. And it was mm-hmm. like, could you get him two more home runs? Just two more home runs. <laughs> so he has that nice round number of 400, I believe, right? Yes. And it's like, well, what's the difference between two swings? I mean, is he a Hall of Famer at 400 and not a Hall of Famer at 398? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, that doesn't make sense to me. So I, I kind of think I always keep that in the back of my mind is that revelation I had watching him play right field for the Rockies. Um you know, and I try to keep that in mind. Like the nice round number is something that we will write a lot about as he chases it. But you know, moving up into that, that doesn't really change the fact that he's one of the greatest players ever in the game, and could have the most the best power numbers of anyone in his generation. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think for his generation, it's it's him and Miggy. Uh, the best hitters that that the game saw for that that period yeah. this period of time that's coming to an end, and you know I, I do I agree with you I, I think you make a good point about you, you know what's it what's it's it's the difference of two at bats and two swings I I think we as in the fans and I think we glorify that because it becomes you know you name it it's the 500 club the 600 yeah. club the 700 right. club and that would be a pretty cool club that I think a lot of people would like to see him in that really there's only what like not there's like two other people in it in terms of like the number of homers and the number of hits and like it, right. it, it's ridiculous so um yeah it's it's just an interesting point and I've I've, I don't want to say worried about it. It's not keeping me up at night, but um, I would just love nothing more than for him to get there this year. And I've, I've often wondered, what does he do if he's like at 699? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be, I don't know. I, I think the bigger question is, what does Wainwright do if he's at 198? <laughs> True. Like, that's the one that, I mean, if we're talking about round numbers, um, I think that, that 200 wins, even though the wins, as you know, um, that's something that we don't really latch on to anymore. That 200 win is still a big number um, these days. And if Wainwright has that chance, has that opportunity to be at that spot, does he take the reach for it? He's not said anything. He's been very clear that he's not going to say ahead of time that this is his last year. It's going to be something he chooses later. So um, do you do you want to give a speech on behalf of Tommy Edmond? I would welcome that before I last ask my last question. Of <laughs> no, it's just funny, you know. Like we've talked about with my show, it's all positive and just highlighting the best parts of the game of baseball. And Tommy Edmond is certainly a, a part of that. And it's funny every single time 
I mentioned Tommy Edmond in anything, the comments from Cardinals fans are just like, oh, thank you for acknowledging Tommy Edmond. Like, thank you. I appreciate it. Nobody ever talks about him. Came out with a top switch hitter list in baseball the other day, and Tommy Edmond was on it. And I had a Cardinals segment the other day and talked about Tommy Edmond. And it's like, you know, I know he's not the superstar on the team nor the best player on the team, but he's an important part of that team. And it's just funny to hear how when I do talk about him, just it's almost like a sense of like relief or a thank you from Cardinals fans because they don't feel that he gets the credit he deserves. And that's a credit to to him and the player he is and the fan base clearly loves him and that's pretty cool it is it's uh it's something that's interesting because my son is 16 now and he will text me that i don't write enough about tommy edmund <laughs> yeah like this is actually like a thing when tommy edmund has a great play at shortstop or at second base or uh or a home run or something like that yeah uh, my son will text me and go you're gonna write about that so it's clearly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a thing. I was like, I write lots about him. I promise, but yeah. uh, it's never enough. All right. So last thing I wanted to ask you about, what was your experience like at the 2006 world series? <laughs> Not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you know, I will forever remember it. And it's one of my first, um, you know, it's one of my first memories of being around the major leagues. Obviously I really? think of Justin's first start. In 05, uh, I remember he was playing um, in Cleveland at the time. At the time, it was the Indians and was pitching against them for his debut. And he was too nervous and and like he was so new and young that he didn't exactly know how the guest, the family list worked. So he didn't put us on there. We were sitting in like the second row from the top going crazy and people were looking at us like what are you doing up here like so mm. that's that's my first memory of watching him but not too much longer in 06 um I was in middle school and my brother was in the midst of a rookie of the year season and I yeah. just remember leaving uh I left school for like a couple of weeks to go to the world series which um started in Detroit and then moved to St. Louis, and just remember, uh, I have a lot of memories from that from that series and and that stadium. I just remember walking in as a World Series. Everybody was wearing the you know those big puffy World Series jackets were more of a thing back then. Um, which you ask the biggest difference in baseball. That's one of them. Those big puffy jackets you don't see often anymore. <laughs> but I just remember the atmosphere in there was unlike anything I had seen at the time. And it was awesome. And riding the family bus in there, like we ended up losing. And and as we were riding out on the family bus, just like, I don't want this to look bad on Cardinals fans because I think Cardinals fans are great. But they're like yelling at our family bus and we got our family bus got hit with an egg. And it's like, oh, my oh, God, no. this is this is serious stuff here. And um, but it, my memories from it are um, I, I jokingly say not good. It was it was one of the best memories of my life. And I know Justin didn't get his World Series ring there, but it was an incredible year. It was a year in which the Tigers went from one of the worst teams that the game has seen to getting Pudge Rodriguez and then Justin as a yeah. rookie and being a World Series and the AL champions. Uh, so just to experience that that year and go on the road to St. Louis and get to see that crowd celebrate a World Series victory at home, um, that's something that I will forever remember because it was it was really cool to see that. Have you replayed that series on the show with the 83 win Cardinals falling to the Superior Tigers? I have not. I have not replayed that, but that's a good that's a good point. Maybe next time I have you on, we can we can do competing clips from from that year <laughs> in <and> 06. <laughs> yeah, 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 that that series is famous around here for the USA Today um prediction that said tigers in three that, that, <laughs> it was because the cardinals were you know they were just were uh they got healthy they got strong they had a rookie pitcher of note who uh pitched very well for them in adam wainwright so you know yeah. it, it, it all kind of came together it was interesting with the with the, those tigers teams that made it to a couple world series and obviously i i will never say that a team didn't deserve to win a series but I do believe the the Cardinals played better that series. They ended up they deserved to win that series, but both you know both times that the Tigers went to the World Series, they swept the ALCS, 
and guys swear by that time off. And people like this is my concern with the playoff format, and I'm interested to see how it shakes out. But there's a buy, and my yeah. concern is that like you don't really want that in baseball at that part of the year. Like you're on, you're rolling. You've played 162 games and and like 180 days, and you don't really take many breaks in baseball. So my concern is that teams that are the best teams in baseball are going to have that buy and then not play great in that next series. So that's certainly something to look out for. But those Tigers teams swear by, yeah, we had like a week off and we went we went from being in our groove to out of our groove and uh, just matched up against a, be- a team that played better and ended up losing. Yeah, we'll all learn a little bit about the format when it starts. I think there's a lot of questions going into it. Um, but I don't think there's evidence that it'll dilute the playoffs, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. You know, if anything, you know, I know we're moving away from the one-game playoff, which I understand the drama of it. I've seen it. saw it at Dodger Stadium last year. But I welcome the series aspect. Yeah. Back in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree completely. That is Ben Verlander, FoxSports.com baseball analyst and host of Fox Sports Awards, awards winning Flipping Bats podcast. You can find Flipping Bats at Flipping, that's Flipping without the G, Bats Pod on Twitter. You can also find Flipping Bats with Ben Verlander on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, all tor- sorts of places. You also were a top 100 player in MLB The Show. You have a Twitch channel, all of it going on. Ben, thank you so much. This has been a I've really enjoyed this conversation. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This has been fun. You can find Ben Verlander on Twitter at Ben Verlander. Just that. At Ben Verlander or at Flippin' Bats Pod. That's Flippin' No G Bats Pod. You can also find Flippin' Bats anywhere you get your podcast. It's also available on YouTube. That's Flippin' Bats with Ben Verlander. You'll see him at foxsports.com. You'll see him on shows. You'll see him. You're going to see him a lot of places. He's he's going to be an increasing presence and a welcome presence in a lot of the coverage of baseball just because of the joy he brings to it. He has been nominated for two hashtag sports awards for his coverage of the 2021 World Series. The best podcast in baseball, not yet the award-winning podcast in baseball, but still the best podcast in baseball is a production of stltoday.com, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Please rate and review. Rate and review the podcast. I learn a lot from the reviews on there. I check them out just to see if the podcast is headed in the direction the community expects. Um, This podcast in its 10th year would not exist if not for the interest that the listeners have shown and the direction and opinion that the listeners have shown. Subscribe to the podcast. And, of course, you can find all of the constant Cardinals coverage from Rick Hummel, Ben Fredrickson, Benjamin Hockman, and the Pinch Hits crew at stltoday.com and STL Pinch Hits. That's also where you can find Daniel Guerrero's Minor League podcast. It's available only on STL Pinch Hits. So look for that there. He gives you a weekly update on what's going on in the Cardinals Minor League system. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design. Again, a special thanks to Ben Verlander for taking all that time to talk with me. For the best podcast in baseball and stltoday.com, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon.